Welcome to Clued in Mystery. I'm Sarah. And I'm Brooke. And we both love mystery. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. And how are you? I'm great. I wanted to wish you a happy Thanksgiving because I believe you're celebrating this weekend in Canada. Is that right? That is right. Yeah, it's our it's our Thanksgiving. We have it a little earlier than you do in the U.S. I think it's because our um, growing season is shorter. Uh, although this year around here, it still feels like August, but um, it's one of my favorite holidays because we just get together and eat. So. <laughs> Mine too, but I do have to wait almost another month to get to celebrate. So I'm a little jealous. Well, you know, you could always have a piece of pumpkin pie uh, this weekend and, and think about your your Canadian friends having having their Thanksgiving. I'm going to do that. Great idea. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about continuing the story, which um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to talking about with you. So I'll just give a brief, uh, overview, uh, and then we can get started. So what happens when an author dies? In most cases, the characters and the wor worlds that they've created are also effectively dead, or perhaps more accurately, they cease to be developed any further. But there are examples, especially when a character or a series is beloved by fans, when the story continues after the original creator stops creating. Before we get too far into this conversation, it's worth defining a few terms. Canon refers to stories that are from the original author. There's no question that the information that's revealed in those stories belongs in the world they created. Just as an aside, the first usage of canon in a non-biblical sense is in reference to Arthur Conan Doyle's creation, Sherlock Holmes. So while there's no strict definition of what is canon, particularly in other genres, uh, you know, especially thinking about uh, fans of Star Trek and, and Star Wars, you know, debating over which of the continuations of those worlds uh, belong in, in the official canon. It is helpful to think about the original works as canon, as well as those created with permission or at the request of the rights holders. Pastiche refers to stories that are intentionally in the spirit of the original. The characters, their language, their habits, they're all consistent with the original, but the information that's revealed in those stories isn't necessarily accepted as being fact in the original world. Parody is exaggerating an element generally accepted as belonging to the world, typically for humor. Think The Pink Panther and detective fiction. And finally, fan fiction is an unauthorized expansion of the story, often in unexplored or impossible storylines relative to the original. An example of this might be fan fiction where a story includes the relationship between two characters who are not romantically connected in the original series. These stories are typically shared amongst fans on fan forums or discussion boards. Even when a continuation is intended to be canon, fans of the original work hold strong opinions. A non-mystery example is the world created by J.R.R. Tolkien. The recently released Rings of Power series is largely extrapolated from his original works. However, uh, any deviations are analyzed and criticized by passionate fans. Continuation is not limited to the screen. Consider the recent release of Marple, new short stories featuring Agatha Christie's Miss Marple or James Bond, who has continued to exercise his license to kill after Ian Fleming's death, thanks to the pens of eight other authors, including Anthony Horowitz. And I'm mentioning Horowitz specifically because not only is he the current author adding to the Bond world, but Horowitz has also written new Sherlock novels commissioned by the Doyle estate. 
As with those who care deeply about Middle-earth, Sherlock is an example where fans care very deeply and meticulously review every detail to assess how closely the new work aligns with what they believe the original author intended. Which makes me think that anyone who takes on this challenge is incredibly brave, as there is a population of people who are so devoted to a character uh, who you know are going to read the story or novel through a very critical lens. So Brooke, I thought we would start today by talking about authors whose works actually haven't been continued. Um, are there any characters uh, that you wish there was more of to read? Oh, that's a good question, Sarah. Um, well, I can think of one of my favorite series of all time. It was the Sue Grafton Alphabet series. And uh, Grafton passed away just before she wrote the final book. She wrote up to Y and did not write Z. And, but I'm actually going to be a little contrary here because I feel like it wouldn't be the same if someone else carried that on. And maybe, maybe I'm just as ardent of, of a fan as some of those other, um, you know, uh, debating fans that you were talking about before, because I, I, I'm okay with it being unfinished. However, um, you know, that's an example of something that definitely could have been picked up. In fact, I'm sure she probably had some notes made and um, the family could have chosen to have that continued and they didn't. What about you? Are there some stories you can think of in that category? Yeah, I've been reading some of Dorothy L. Sayers' works and uh I would love to know more about, or I'd love to see uh, Peter Whimsey solving some more crimes. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I really like him as a character. Um, so yeah, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing some more, um, some more of that. Yeah. And that brings up the topic of the fact that it really does have to be authorized when you get to that stage, you know, um, Grafton's family would have had to um, authorize that and as the same with the the Sayers estate. So yeah, I agree. And I think that it brings up a really interesting point that's been playing on my mind this week is that it's so it would be such an honor to have a fan base that would care this much. I think it's interesting and wonderful that these works of art, these stories are important enough and, and real to us that we want the story to continue. And I just think it's, it's an amazing thing about literature that, um, that there's that demand for it to have the story continue. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, what a legacy to leave behind that not only do people enjoy your stories, they want more of them and they, and they, care so much about them that, you know, they're creating their own versions, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, um, yeah, I just, I, I agree. I think it's, a, it would definitely be, um, definitely be an honor. You know, you were talking about kind of authorization and, and, um, I was reading about, uh, Lee Child. So, uh, he's still alive. Um, and, but in 2020, uh, he announced that his brother, Andrew, would take over writing the Jack Reacher series, um, which I think is actually a really clever way of doing it because it allowed them to collaborate, I think, on three books. I think the last of their collaborations is coming out later this year. Um, but it allowed them to collaborate before he stepped away. Uh, and maybe we'll see more of that in the future where 
that handover is planned and it happens before um, the author, the author dies. And I wonder if that, you know, having that really intentional takeover um, quiets some of the potential criticism that, uh, that fans might voice. Yeah, that's true. I think that you're right. It was a really intentional and um, cool strategy. And uh, in an interview uh, he gave, he mentioned that his brother Andrew was the perfect person because, you know, they, they have the same childhood, they have the same memories, they have, you know, they share so much DNA that it's going to be the closest possible person. person to carry on and um, hopefully, you know, shape the Reacher stories in a similar way that he would. Um, but I like that idea that that a, an author plans that ahead and plans it forward um, and maybe even chooses the person who they would like to carry on the legacy of their characters. Um, something you said in the beginning, I, I, I felt this way too. I mean, I sit down to write and fear that I won't be able to, you know, do it again when writing my own little series. But the idea of sitting down to try to carry on a series by Agatha Christie or Arthur Conan Doyle, I mean, the pressure, it just seems unreal. And it just goes to show how fantastic uh, Sophie Hanna and Anthony Horowitz or any of these people who have, have taken on and been commissioned to do that, you know, they are they're amazing and fantastic authors to be able to do that. Oh, absolutely. And I think it would be such an honor to, you know, to receive that request, but you're right, man, there would be so much pressure. I've been uh, listening to one of Sophie Hanna's continuation of the Poirot um, mysteries. And, you know, I just think about like how much research I imagine you would need to do. You'd have to do such a close read of, all of the original works, right? To really get down the the things that the character would say or the the movements that the character would make or how the character would um, would solve the mystery, right? I just like it would be, oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> I have a great quote from from Sophie Hanna uh, because I was thinking the exact same things and I started looking into, you know, how did she prepare? And so this is just a a little part of a of an article from Publishers Weekly and we can certainly link to it, but she says, "When my agent first suggested to me that I ought to write a new Hercule Poirot novel for Agatha Christie's publishers, I knew two things straight away, that this might be the most exciting creative challenge I could ever undertake, and that I would not want to write a continuation novel for any other writer, not even one that I loved. Then she goes on to say that, uh, ironically, it didn't seem like such a stretch for her to do it. And um, then she said, why didn't it? Why did it feel so natural and possible? I think it's because Agatha Christie's influence is such an integral part of my writerly DNA and always has been. She was my main influence and the writer who made me fall in love with mysteries. Yeah, I just, for me, I I mean, I love Agatha Christie, but I feel like I would, I would have to do so much work to just feel confident enough in sharing whatever I'd written in essentially in her name mm-hmm. with the world, right? right? It's it's hard enough for me to share what I write 
mm-hmm. under my name. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm also listening. I've also been listening to one of um, her continuation Poirot novels this week. And I am constantly struck by how well she carries on, like you said, his mannerisms, his dialogue, the way he would interact. Like you could you could be reading a Christie novel. It's it's uncanny the way she does it. And um, yeah, it, it's really fun. Her characterization is great. And if you are an ardent fan and have chosen not to pick up these continuations because uh, you are such a fan of Agatha Christie, I, I encourage you to give it a try. And I think that you'll be um, pleasantly surprised at how similar and, and wonderful the stories are. Yeah, I, I agree. I I've really enjoyed, uh, this is the second one of hers that I've read and um, I've enjoyed them both and I'll, I'll definitely um, read the others. And, and yeah, it, it doesn't feel like you're reading someone else's attempt at writing like Agatha Christie. We can, I think, do a whole episode on this at, uh, another time, but, you know, I know there are some, um, series, particularly Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, that were actually written by ghostwriters, all writing under the same name. And it would be interesting, um, I'm sure someone has done kind of an analysis to see if they can pick out whether, you know, two stories were written by the same, ultimately written by the same individual, or if it was, you know, two, um, if you can tell that it was two different authors, even though they're both using Carolyn Keene or um, uh, F.W. Dixon as their as their author names. I think that would be fun, Sarah, to do some comparison. I did think of them in preparation for today as well. And um, they did have somebody creating the outlines. And so I think that would at least structure them similarly. But still, we all have our own you know, fingerprint as authors. So I think it would be really interesting to see if you can tell. That would be a fun, a fun episode to do. Uh, And another episode that I think we'll do in future will be about our favorite screen adaptations. Um, But I thought maybe we could just briefly talk about uh, the recent release of Death on the Nile, where there's backstory about Poirot's mustache. Uh, And so in Agatha Christie's original works, and even in in Sophie Hanna's, um, there's no backstory that's really given about it. You know, there's reference to it, certainly, because that's a key part of um, the character. But so what we saw in the movie was entirely Kenneth Branagh's creation. Um, Although I assume that it was done with permission. I actually didn't, um, didn't look this up. But I wonder if Christie fans who are perhaps not quite as passionate or as vocal as Sherlockian fans or, um, you know, Star Trek or Star Wars fans, um, you know, I don't know if people accept that story that um, that was in Death on the Nile, if they accept that as as canon, as as the real history behind the mustache. What, what do you think? You know, I've shared before that I... I'm not one of those people who has read every Christie novel. I am, I enjoy her immensely, but I wouldn't say that I'm one of those, you know, fans that knows each and everything about a series. And it even bugged me. I mean, maybe it's because I'm such a traditionalist at heart that 
you know, anything like that. I, I really want the, um, the traditional and I just really want those, uh, details carried over. And I, I think that part of why it bothered me was that I felt that Christy was being very intentional of not sharing a backstory for Poirot. Like that was almost a thing about him was that he was this kind of mysterious guy and how did he get so intelligent and and, um, how did he become such a good detective I think I liked that intrigue and I didn't need it explained away I don't I don't need to know about that I I liked having that question mark but what what did you feel about it Sarah uh so I'm like you I haven't yet read all of Agatha Christie's original works um but I actually hadn't given it as much thought. I just kind of accepted Poirot as 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 who he was. Um, I thought I thought the backstory was was interesting, but I'm not sure that it adds to him, right? Like I I wonder if Kenneth Branagh's Poirot, you know, by adding that backstory, he provides some opportunity to for his Poirot to be a little different than than Christie's and maybe that's what his plan is right like maybe he's got some some grand plans that we just don't know um that we don't know about yet but um yeah I I I wasn't quite as bothered by it um but I also didn't think that it was necessary Yeah, good points. And the fact of the matter is we are to see more of these. If, if, if what we hear in the media is correct, we'll see more of these film adaptations. And so in order to bring it into, um, the, the contemporary age and the tastes of an audience, you know, maybe he has a master plan, like you said. So I think there's been particularly with James Bond, um, some, and actually you see this with, with Sherlock as well, but, uh, I think the Fleming estate actually commissioned, uh, some expansion of the bond world through adjacent characters or by looking at bonds past. So I think there's a series, uh, a young bond series. I haven't, I haven't read it. Um, and then there's also, uh, a few books under a series called the money penny diaries. And again, I haven't, I haven't read those, but just providing some additional, um, back history and, and, and some, you know, additional insight into the, into the bond character and the bond world. And I think that, you know, to be asked to do that may feel like a little less pressure than if you were asked to continue that original series. Um, but, and we see that I think, uh, with Sherlock, but it's not necessarily been, um, sanctioned by, the sure, uh, by the Doyle estate. Right. And I think some of the difference is that most of the Sherlock stories are out of copyright. And so, you know, anyone can create something related to, um, that character without needing to have the, the permission of, of the estate. So I know there was some trouble that, uh, Nancy Springer and Netflix got into, um, with the Enola Holmes, uh, film that came out a couple of years ago, you know, there's a, a Sherlock series or a, a Lady Sherlock series where rather than being uh, a male, it's a, a female named Charlotte Holmes, who's the detective. And she's created this myth of Sherlock being her brother, but it's actually her 
doing the investigating. That's an interesting way to kind of incorporate Sherlock themes into a story without actually having him be there. Mm-hmm. Right. I um, I enjoyed your definitions at the beginning. And so in thinking about something like Lady Sherlock or the Enola Holmes, do they fall into the category of pastiche? I think so. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, we spoke with Vicki Delaney earlier this year, right? And And her series is set in modern day, right? So there's a character who has very Sherlockian traits, but... Uh, and there's, you know, in her, in her bookshop, there are, you know, she talked about the Easter eggs that she puts in um, for true Sherlockian fans. Um, so, and I think hers um, would be considered pastiche as well, mm-hmm. uh, rather than, um, and, I mean, obviously something said in modern day can't be considered canon because that's not true. when the original was set. And I think that's a good point. That seems less um, daunting to carry on the um, the themes and the ideas and maybe even some of the characters in spin-off ways rather than trying to, um, t- to write additional canon material. Yeah, totally. In our um, preparation this week, I came across a very touching story, I thought, where... Um, Wilkie Collins actually had a novel in progress called Blind Love, and on his deathbed, he asked his friend Walter Besant if he would finish the novel for him, and I just found it incredibly touching. It was so important um, to the author that the book get finished, and then to be the friend to add, to be asked to to finish it. I just thought it was a wonderful. Um, a wonderful story, and I will have to pick up Blind Love sometime because I do like Wilkie Collins. Oh yeah, that's a that's a really nice story, Brooke. And yeah, I mean, I think you know we've talked about some some high profile authors where their stories have been continued, but you know I think there's there's other examples where a novel has been finished uh, when the author has died unexpectedly, mm-hmm. um, and 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 perhaps the series continued by that. Um, you know, by the person who, who finished the, uh, the original. Um, and yeah, like, I actually think that's a really, that's a really nice thing. Mm -hmm. It is. It would be such an honor. So thanks Brooke. I think this was a really, uh, great conversation to talk about continuation. And I think there's definitely more that we can talk about in future episodes related to this. Definitely. Yes, thank you, Sarah. This was a lot of fun. And thank you all for listening today on Clued in Mystery. I'm Brooke. And I'm Sarah. And we both love mystery. Clued in Mystery is produced by Brooke Peterson and Sarah M. Stephen. Music is by Shane Ivers at silvermansound.com. Visit us online at cluedinmystery.com or social media at Clued in Mystery. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or telling your friends.